path of purity by living according to your word. Another example, hoping that I'm tired of all these examples, right? But in Psalm 23, we all know Psalm 23, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. What is a path of righteousness? It's, it's a way, right? It's the way that we walk. Jesus, when he was preaching, his main gripe with the Pharisees wasn't the little things that they would do, right? It was their way of living. That was his gripe with them. In Matthew 23, 23, this isn't on the slides, but uh, Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So these guys, they were, can you imagine like dill and mint leaves, like tithing so that you can get exactly 10% of your mint leaves, right? Mint leaves are so small. Dill is tiny, right? And they're like, ah, oh, I got my perfect 10%, so I'm good, I'm righteous. But in the process, they've neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They're not walking in those ways. God is always concerned about the ways of his people, the trend, the direction, the your like your overall scent of Christianity, right? Like he's that's what he's concerned about, your ways. And in a in a way, in a way. Um, so if we relate it back to ourselves, like here's an example. You can do the things that a friend does and absolutely not be a friend of that person. Right? You can go out to eat, you can buy him a beer or a cold glass of water if you're under twenty one. Um, you can, you know, you can meet their family, you can hang out, you can go bowling, but absolutely not be a friend to that person. Absolutely don't care about that person. Absolutely don't check up on them. You don't know their middle name, the last name. You don't know nothing. You don't know what they're into, right? And in the same way, we can do all the Christian things and secretly just not be a friend to Jesus at all. Right? We do all the Christian things, but absolutely we're not walking in the way of Jesus. We can go to church and absolutely neglect scripture, right? And we, we've heard it and maybe we've said it, right? Like stuff like, man, I know Jesus would do that, but I'm not going to do that, right? Jesus forgives. I don't. No, I'm different. Stuff like that. Here's some other ways. We could be completely, you could be celibate. You could be a celibate person and completely impure in your way of living, right? You could use PG language, but also just have the nastiest tongue in the world, the most negative, demeaning, judgmental tongue in the world with PG language, your ways. You could be constantly buying people stuff, constantly giving people gifts, constantly having people over your house, but inside be the most stingy, selfish, just stingy person ever. So what is your way? What is your way of living? Not the little things that we do, but the way of life. What is your trend? Your overall like sin. <laughs> sin. Um, so the theme scripture for today is Proverbs twenty two twenty two, and it says, um, "Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life." Now, why is this? here? Why does he have to tell us that? Well, he has to tell us that because the poor, obviously, are easier to exploit than the rich. There's an immense vulnerability to being poor. 
being needed. Um, one quote from a scholar says, lacking financial resources to protect their legal rights, they are a tempting target for the sharp practices and blatant injustices of their rich and powerful neighbors. In God, he has a super, super strong, special heart for the poor. <laughs> Uh, these aren't these aren't new. This isn't a new idea in the Bible that hey, we should take care of the poor, we shouldn't exploit them. That's not a new idea. And a lot of these proverbs, like Solomon's wisdom, it, it didn't come just from like Solomon had a special dream and now he's wise and he never read the Torah, right? Like his Sol- Solomon's wisdom came from the Torah. This is from the Torah. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Right. So logically, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord starts with the word of God. Also, I want to make the point that the whole Bible is wisdom literature. It's not just Proverbs. It's not exclusive to Proverbs. Um, Something else that we can think. Right. We can. Well, we can think that Proverbs is the only place where I can get wisdom. We can also think. I don't know. I think we separate the Bible and we put parts of the Bible into boxes and we think, I can only get this thing from this part of the Bible. I can only get this thing from this part of the Bible. And in thinking like that, you'll hear a lot of Christians say, well, you know, the Old Testament God is, he's like mean and, you know, harsh. And the New Testament God, he changes and he's like real nice and stuff. And I think that's a blatant misunderstanding of scripture. It's a huge misunderstanding of scripture. God is the same from the beginning when when God is a pillar of fire and when God is Jesus Christ hanging out with the little babies, he's the exact same person. Um, you know who uh, you know where most of the like most harsh scriptures about hell are? They're from Jesus, our nice, cuddly friend Jesus. He's the one who talks about hell the most in the Bible. Um, you know who talks the most about yearning for his people, like like a husband? Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, huh? Oh, my notes just disappeared. But you know who talks the most about yearning for his people, like a, like a husband yearns for his wife? Is Old Testament mean Old Testament God? You know who talks the most about, hey, be encouraged, do not be afraid, I'm with you. That's the mean Old Testament God, right? And so we need to, like, God is the same. The voice of the Holy Spirit is the exact same throughout the entire Bible. It doesn't change. Now, yeah, that's, it's bizarre. My notes just disappeared. Okay, so we, I have this little game that I wanted to play with everyone. And so I'm going to read a phrase from the Bible, and I want you to tell me if it is from the Torah. Torah meaning the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Proverbs. Did I say first four? It's hot. I'm dehydrated. Uh, Okay, so the Torah, the Proverbs, or Jesus. Tell me if, who said it? All right. Who said this? There will always be poor in the land. Jesus, he did say it, but he was quoting Deuteronomy. Yeah. All right. How about this? Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hands to do. Torah. Hey, it's a nice church. All right. 
How about this? This, this is a trick question. Uh, is this in the Torah or the Proverbs of Jesus? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus and Torah. Yeah, that's in Leviticus. Our nasty book, Leviticus. <laughs> right? Uh, how about this? If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. It sounds like a proverb, but that's Jesus. That's Jesus. How about this? If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. We're in the Torah. I just, I just Googled it. I, I just say that because I Googled it just right before this sermon to make sure that it was only Jesus. And I think it's only Jesus. Yeah. Is Abraham said that? Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln said that. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, and he was quoting. He's quoting Jesus. All right, so I say I do that little quiz just to say Solomon's wisdom it came from God, right? Solomon he was the wisest man who ever walked Earth until Jesus walked Earth, and Jesus being the embodiment of the Word of God, Jesus was the source of all of Solomon's wisdom. So wisdom is not exclusive to Solomon in the Proverbs. Financial advice is not exclusive to Solomon in the Proverbs. You know, life advice is not exclusive to Solomon in the Proverbs. It's everywhere, start to finish in the Bible. So, in that same note, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 15 to learn about that proverb. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have to turn in your own Bible because it's a long, kind of a long word. All right. So, Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there, be, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land your Lord is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. So I'm going to stop right there. Verse 6. And I want to share the context of this. Right. So this is instructions to the Israelites right before they are to pass into the promised land, right? The very end of that 40 years of wandering around. They're about to pass in. This is their instruction. So these are instructions to a society of Israelites on how to interact with other Israelites, right? This is how you should conduct your society. <clears throat> and notice he says, do not keep your fellow Israelite in debt. Um, I was in college when I learned about debt. <laughs> How many of us? Uh, and debt, when done in a harsh way, can keep the debt, the person being loaned the money for, and the people loaning the money rich, right? With crazy interest rates and all that. It keeps the poor poor and the rich rich. And so God is instructing his people, 
hey, there shouldn't be any poor people among you. Do not abuse this idea of debt. Um, yeah, erase it after seven years. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Joe Biden. Okay. And he says this, he says, you should do this so much, you should have a system going so that there is no poor in the land. That should be the goal. There is no poor in the land, the way that you react and treat each other. Now let's continue on verse 7. This is where it gets kind of juicy. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land, your Lord God, the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you will not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hands to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So another misconception we might have about, or maybe a shallow reading of scripture we might have, is that the Old Testament, the law, is just based on actions. God just cares about their actions. And then the New Testament came in and Jesus finally started talking about our hearts. Right? But in this scripture, God is addressing the hearts of the people. Right? In verse 7, he says, do not be hard-hearted. Do not be tight-fisted. Be open-handed and freely lend them. In verse 10, he says, give generously to them and without a grudging heart. Oh, in that old dusty Torah, they're talking about our heart. He also addresses it in uh, another verse, but he says, don't have this wicked thought. And this kind of confused me when I read this the first time. In verse 9, in verse 9, he says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you will not show ill will toward the needy. Like, how is that wicked. And then I thought about it. Okay, so if you know that everyone's debts are going to be canceled in the seventh year, and it's the sixth year, right? Let's say it's December 31st of the sixth year, and someone asks you for something. You could be like, no, you're, you're about to be free next year. Why would I give you anything? And so God is saying, yeah, that's a wicked thought. Don't do that. Give people, give to people generously, no matter if it's their payday tomorrow, or if they're never going to get paid, right? So he's addressing their heart. And he says, there shouldn't be poor. This is also, this is a contradiction that we see. He says, there shouldn't be poor in the first chunk. And then at the very end, he ends up by saying, there will always be poor in the land. So that's a contradiction. We know when we see contradictions in scripture, don't run away. Run in, run towards it. So he says, there shouldn't be poor in the land, but there will always be poor. What do we do with that contradiction? What do we do with it? So he's giving us a goal, right? The goal is there should not be poor. But then he says, hey, I mean, they're always either. Meaning, I mean, he knows that we are a broken people. He knows that this is a broken world. And that people have free will to do what they want or what they don't want to do. Um, they have free will to do what they don't. Yeah. And so the reality is this world is always going to be broken. But his goal for them is that it will not be broken. So he gives the commands, knowing that we probably won't be able to finish. 
Um, here's another misconception, and then I'm done with all the misconceptions. Okay, so we can read this and think, oh, well, he's just saying Jews to treat other Jews this way. Israelites to just let's just keep it in the Israelite community. Don't be nice. Don't show this kind of love to people outside of the Israelite community, right? And that is also a misunderstanding because if you read the Torah, you'll see this phrase over and over and over again. Deuteronomy 10:19. He says, "Therefore, love the foreigner, for you yourselves were foreigners in the land of Egypt." Right? And so this isn't just a exclusive to Israelites. Be nice to them. Give generously to them. He says. Be generous to everyone. Show love to everybody. Because you yourself were a foreigner. If we live in America, I mean, for us, all of us are foreigners. Literally every single one of us. And so, in the same way, these Israelites, they were foreigners themselves. Treat the foreigner nice. The overarching Jewish attitude toward the poor is best summed up by a single word of the biblical text. And I can't pronounce it. See you next slide. That word, achika, ach is the word for brother, and ika is like it's yours, right? So with this word, the Torah insists on the dignity of the poor, and it commands us to resist any temptation to view the poor as somehow different from ourselves. This concept of human dignity is well ingrained in the Bible. The book of Genesis describes human beings as being created in the image of God. So the insistence that human beings are creations in the divine image implies that any insult to an individual, by extension, is an affront to God. It reminds us that the poor person is our sibling. The Torah emphasizes that like us, this person is a manifestation of the divine image and should be treated as such. The poor person is our sibling. They are your brother. So Proverbs 22, we're in verse 22. But if you go all the way to the top of the chapter, it starts it off by saying, oh, no, you can say that. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Mm-hmm. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Yeah. <clears throat> so, if I see the poor as just a random person, right? Uh, a random person who's just the victim of this bad economy, and this bad government, and this bad whatever, right? That, that doesn't do anything to my heart. That doesn't change my heart at all. But if I see the poor person as my brother, as my sister, as my family member, as my ahika, it changes big time. My heart is affected. My ways are affected. If I saw, I know some of, most of us have siblings. Maybe some of us are only children. But if, if you saw your relative sitting on the street, if you saw your brother, sister, someone you grew up with, sitting on the street, it would it would tug at your heart a little harder, right? Yeah. I know my brother and I, we have very tough love relationship. We were dissing each other this week, right? We grew up throwing gravel at each other, fighting each other and all that. Tough love, like he's a grown man, he should be able to handle it, right? But it, even, even with that tough love relationship I have with my brother, if I were to see him on the street, the tug to my heart would be a lot harder. And that should be the Christian heart for all poor. As if that's your flesh and blood on the street corner. Even if one is poor because of their moral failings or their foolish behavior, they still shouldn't be taken advantage of. We still should see them as our brother, as our sister, as our mother, as our father. 
So, <clears throat> Proverbs 22, 22. All right, let's go back to that. Some things we can think when we look at this scripture is, well, one thing to stand out immediately, do not exploit the poor. Okay, cool. Check. Haven't done that. Right? I'm not a businessman. I'm not a landlord. I'm not a politician. I'm not any of these. So how can I, how can I exploit before? I haven't exploited before. Well, if you are a businessman, landlord, if you have employees, then that scripture is pretty easy to interpret. But if you're not, how can we interpret this? Okay, we can still take on the heart of what the scripture is trying to get across. So maybe I don't exploit the poor. But what is the opposite? It says don't exploit the poor. So what's the opposite of exploit? I looked up some antonyms. Benevolence, charity, humanity, goodwill, generosity, compassion. Those are some opposites of the word exploitation. So if I want to follow this scripture, follow the heart of this scripture, am I benevolent to the poor? Am I generous to the poor? Do I have compassion for the poor? Right, those things are in our control. Also, let's think more about what is in our control. So, like, what assets do you have at your disposal to help the poor? I remember in college, uh, Panera Bread, they, like, every day, Panera Bread gets rid of their day-old bread. And so, every Wednesday, I think, someone who worked in the engineering building, they would go to Panera Bread, pick up this big bag of day-old bread, and bring it and flop it down outside of the engineering building. They're in the engineering building lobby. And so we'd come out of like thermodynamics class and stuff, and we, us hungry poor college kids, we'd be like, oh yeah. And so you, it's kind of funny, you'd see kids like, <clears throat> with like a big old baguette, like walking, <laughs> like walking from class with a huge loaf of bread that they got for free from Panera Bread, right? Uh, wait, they're skiing, do they still do that? At Skiki, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but they, I know Panera still does that. Um, for Manor House? Yeah, so if you're near a Panera, if you work at a Panera, I mean, you can, you can work at, if you work at a food restaurant, you have an opportunity to use the assets at your disposal to help the poor, right? Um, Brad is a great example of this. If you have an organization on campus, you can use your college's money, right, to help the poor. Right, if you have free time, I know Tom has talked to me about this, the House of Harvest, it's in, yes, it's in Harvest, right? Uh, on Saturday mornings, you can go there and help, or afternoons at the Manor House on weekdays. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. So there's a, a lot of ways that we can help the poor, that we can do the opposite of this exploiting the poor, even if we're not a landlord or something, right? And then another thing we can think when we read the scripture is, okay, well, dude, I'm poor. I barely make it, right? How am I supposed to help the poor? And I think there's a reason why there's a this story where Jesus sees the lady give her last two cents. And he says, this lady's given more than all these rich folks. Right? It's not an excuse. Right? There's always going to be poor there's always going to be someone who needs more than you in the entire world. You just got to look for it. I, I know I've, I've been broken to see, you know, you hand one homeless person maybe a sandwich and you'll see them split it in half and give it to someone else. 
Have y'all ever seen that? Why have we all seen? We've all seen that. We've seen someone give half of what they have to. It's crazy, right? And so we can think, you know, oh man, I don't know, I don't know if I can spare it. But we, how many people just said they've seen a homeless person share their last meal? That's that is ridiculous, right? All right. So what else is the opposite of exploiting the poor? So the opposite of exploiting the poor could also be defending the poor, fighting for justice for the poor. Are you good with words? Is anyone in here good with words? Right. So preaching, sitting up here with some slides and stuff, that's not the only way that you can use your gift of words. Right? That's not the only way to use the spiritual gift of words. Christians, if we think about it, Christians should be like leading the path and being spokespersons for the poor. And I think we do a good job. But like our local city council, they should be like, oh, goodness, here come the Christians. Oh, my gosh. We should like... It should be annoying the way that we are. Hey, hey, can we help the poor? Can we help the poor? It should be annoying in Huntsville to city council members, to local government, the way that we are just ambassadors for the lowly. So are you good at arguing? (laughs) Are you good at negotiating? Are you good at petitioning? Are you really good at connecting, networking people? You can use those gifts to help defend the defenseless in your neighborhood. It's just a thought. All right, so... Another thing we might think when we see the scripture is, well, if you've ever been to a big city like Atlanta, L.A., Chicago, New York, there is overwhelming amount of people in need, right? If you walk down the block, it might be like 50, right? On some certain blocks, Skid, what is it, Skid Row, right? In Austin, it's like, I think they said over 30,000 in my hometown. And so that can be, that can cause us to be like, how can I, how can I help? How can I help? It's overwhelming. If I were to give, if I were to say yes to every poor person who asked me for help, I would, I would have nothing. And so my response to that is, how many can you say yes to? God promises that he'll take care of us. If we lend to the poor, God says, God says, if you lend to the poor, it's like lending to God. That's in the Proverbs. Do we trust God in that way? We can start with one. Right? You start with one, one is very powerful. The Bible speaks about if you give just a cool cup of water to someone in need, wow. Then you'll never lose your reward. You'll never lose your reward. I promise that was not scripted. <clears throat> Just a cool glass, cool glass of water. There's a similar study done by the Journal of Experimental Psychology, where researchers conducted a series of experiments with different acts of kindness. Right. So, in one experiment, study participants at an ice skating rink in Chicago on a cold winter day gave other skaters hot cocoa for free, and then afterwards, both parties were asked to rate how much the gesture was worth. The givers of the hot cocoa consistently undervalued how much the hot cocoa meant to the recipients. Meaning they thought their act, here you go, was of less value than the recipients perceived it to be. So don't undersell the the effect of helping just one person, of just giving a glass of water, of just giving hot cocoa, right? Of just giving one sandwich. It's still a really huge impact. 
Now to completely ignore the form is sin. And we learn about sins of omission, right, in our Bible studies. Sin, that sin, the sin of ignoring the poor, is one of the most harshly dealt with sins in the whole Bible. God is fiercely defensive of the poor. Uh, are, you, are you familiar with that phrase, uh, weeping and groaning and the gnashing of teeth, right? That place where the weeping, groaning, and gnashing of teeth is reserved, the context is reserved for someone who does not help the poor. Right. Or the story where the, the, the rich man, he's begging, and he's in Hades, he's in Sheol, and he's begging for, please just give me just a drip of water to put on my tongue because it's so hot down here. That story is just about a guy who ignored the poor. Here's another one. Uh, Bible fun facts. Sodom and Gomorrah. We think it was destroyed just because they were gay. We think that's kind of like the shallow reading of that scripture. Oh, they were gay, so God destroyed them. Let's go to Ezekiel 16, 49. That should have put this on the slide. But Ezekiel 16, 49 says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. Arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And if we look at that story in Genesis of Sodom and Gomorrah, you can kind of see they're not very good with hospitality in that city. Right? So it goes deeper than just, you know, it's just a city where gay people work. No, the, the heart of the people, the ways of the people was arrogant, unconcerned. The way they lived life was arrogant and unconcerned. And that is why they were destroyed. The way we deal with the poor is one of the most harshly dealt with sins in the Bible. So, um, just to wrap this all up, we started off by talking about your ways. Like, what is your way of living? If someone were to look at you, would they say, man, that person, they have a way of life that's just full of compassion. The way they live is just so generous. They're so humble, the way they live. God insists that if we do not imitate his concern for the poor, then we are not really his people. No matter how frequent our worship and how orthodox our doctrine is, he says, you're not my people if you don't imitate the way I see the poor. Jesus, when he came here, he walked in a way that completely changed the fabric of humanity, the fabric of time, right? And he he set a precedent in dealing with the poor, in caring for the poor, that we can only reach with his Holy Spirit. Like, that's our only chance. So I want us to examine our ways this week. Examine our, our ways. Examine our ways, the way you walk, the way you go about life. Examine your trends, your your attitude, your heart. Am I in the way of generosity? Am I in the way, am I living in a way full of benevolence? Am I walking in a way of compassion? Maybe some ask somebody, hey, what, are, what way do I live? It's a scary question. <laughs> so let's remember 
The poor is your brother. It's your achita. It's your sister. The poor is your mother. It's your father. And most importantly, the poor is Jesus himself. God be the glory. Amen. That was not just Nathan. That was God talking through Nathan. So thank you, Nathan. That that was convicting, uh, challenging. Really appreciate it. I don't know about you guys, but um, well, since uh, the advent of using plastic cards, I don't keep cash in my in my my wallet. And I've used that as an excuse not to mm-hmm. to help. I'm going to change that. Yeah. So I appreciate that. You didn't say that, but I just thought is, you know, I see people on the street, people ask for things, and I'm not, I don't got any change. Mm-hmm. I, I just got a card. I haven't got any cash on me. I can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. That's going to change. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to, to give, no matter what. Who it is, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I got I, I I took that from this message and um, mm-hmm. I absolutely appreciate the, uh, the the lesson. But at this time, we are going to stand up.